Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. The Lord makes everything work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So we have this promise that God works everything out for good in the end. So if it's not good, it's not the end. And I want to say that this, is a, this, this season, we will tell our children and our grandchildren about the season that we live through. And the Lord's prepared us for this season. So we are the light of the world. And we're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Isaiah 60, we've been, we've been reading and preaching Isaiah 60 for more than 40 years. If, uh, Isaiah 60 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, deep darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness of people, but the Lord will rise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. Look all around, they all come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in arms. Then your heart will, th- your, your heart will thrill and rejoice as the abundance of the sea is turned to you and the wealth of nations will come to you. Well, let's just begin by praying this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time that we get to be in this season as light in the midst of darkness. We get to be hope in the midst of hopelessness. We get to be healing in the midst of sickness. We get to be prosperity in the midst, uh, in the midst of poverty. And Lord, we get to be joy in the middle of mourning. And Lord, I, I just release right now joy for mourning and a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. Lord, I pray that you would take ashes and that you would give us beauty for ashes. And we thank you, God, that nothing's impossible with you. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you about humility today. I had um, this encounter with the Lord about two weeks ago. I just woke up early in the morning and the Lord said, humility is the way forward. Humility is the way forward. And so I want to talk a little bit about humility in the middle of this crisis, but I want to, I want to remind you that in, in December, I, had, I woke up five mornings in a row with the word providence in my mind, providence. I felt like this, this word providence was some kind of prophetic declaration, and I looked up the word providence, and it means the foreseeing care and guidance of God over the creatures of the earth. Let me, let me repeat that. The foreseeing care... In other words, God foresaw what was coming and he cared and he guided us, the creatures of the earth. And it goes on to say, God, especially when conceived, God, this is providence, the word, the meaning of providence. God, especially when conceived is all-knowing, is directing the universe and the affairs of mankind with wise benevolence, with wise benevolence. And I really believe that the Lord prepared us way back, probably many, many years ago. But in December, he was already telling us that he is providence. He is our divine protection in the midst of a crazy season. That he stands as the leader, as our leader and our captain. And I was thinking about Joshua, how Joshua goes, he's supposed to, he goes into the promised land, he brings the people into the promised land. And he is supposed to take this walled city called Jericho, which is actually has double walls. It has an outer wall and an inner wall. So if you get over the wall, you're stuck in between basically two walls. 
and he's, 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 this is the night before they're supposed to actually take Jericho, and he's afraid, and he goes out to the wall to, and he's, you know, to kind of survey the wall, make a battle plan, and he gets to the wall, and he sees, he gets to the city, and he sees a man with a sword drawn, and it's an angel, and he says, are you for us, or are you against us? <laughs> are you for us, or are you against us? And the angel says, no. Are you for us or are you against us? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> On Joshua's test, there's only, two que- there's only two answers. You're for us or against us? And the angel says, no. Rather, I've come as the captain of the Lord of hosts. The question isn't, Joshua, am I for you? The question is, are you for me? And I want to tell you that the Lord is for us and he is leading us through this. He is leading us through this virus we, it, all we need to do is follow. I remember years ago, I was going through this troubled time. I shared this in December when I talked about the, the message on providence. I was going through this troubled time, and I had all these prophetic words about, let's say, going north, but all the circumstances, like, jo- like Joseph in the Old Testament, where God said, you're going to be ruler, but then the next thing that happened is he ended up in, in, uh, in, uh, in, in slavery and then in the prison. I was going through one of those seasons where all my prophetic declarations said north, but I was going south, and this went on for a couple of years, and I'm like, okay, I maybe think those declarations are wrong. I think I'm just going to change my path and go a different way. And I had this vision. It was kind of an intense vision, and the Lord was walking down this path, and there was people resisting him. They were kind of like football players, defensive linemen in football, and they were kind of standing with a stance like to, def- like to like delay or if you were defer the Lord's moving down this path. And they were standing in the middle of the path, defending the path. And the Lord was, was just grabbing them and he was just throwing them. Of course, there's a little Old Testament kind of <laughs> vision. And I saw them just flinging them. They were just flinging them like rag dolls. And in the vision, I was next in line. And as, I, as, as he came close, I, was, I remember that our eyes met and I remember the intensity of the moment and he looked at me and he said, get out of my way, get out of my way. And I was in the, in the, in the dream, I was thinking, should I, shouldn't I? And all of a sudden he reached out as, he, as if he was gonna grab me and I moved past him and he passed me and he, without turning back, he just said, now follow, <laughs> now follow. And sometimes I think we're in these seasons where we don't know the future, like it feels like the future is uncertain, but how many understand when the future is uncertain, the person that we're with brings certainty to us. And right now we may not know what to do. You may be like, okay, I'm hunkered down. (laughs) I'm doing what the government's asked us to do. I'm staying home. I don't know what else to do. And I wanna tell you like what we need to do right now is just humble ourselves and follow. Humble ourselves and follow. And the Lord, it may be look crazy, but the Lord is in charge. On the 27th of last month, I, I already shared this, but I woke early in the morning to this loud voice in my spirit that said, humility is the way forward. Humility is the way forward. It's really easy to see pride and arrogance in others, at least sometimes confidence in someone else can look like arrogance to us if we don't know their hearts. But it's very difficult sometimes to see 
pride in our own lives. Sometimes we're like frog boiled in that our confidence, what we think is confidence, can also be something not rooted in God. So I want to talk a little bit about humility this morning because I believe that in the midst of the virus, when the world is rushing around looking for a cure, and by the way, they should, God is looking at the hearts of his people. Trials, they don't create the condition of our heart. They just reveal it. In fact, James said, consider it joy when you counter various trials. And so trials, they don't make us the people we are. They just reveal the people we've become. And in some ways, and so the Bible says that, that God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And I want to tell you, greatness is actually planted in the seedbed of humility. Greatness is planted in the seedbed of humility. It's watered by the deeds of servanthood. It's cultivated by the hands of perseverance until it finally yields the crop. It finally yields the harvest of royalty. If you'll turn to John chapter 15, this is a very familiar passage about the vine and the branches. We're going to start in verse 1. And Jesus is speaking here. He said, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean. That word clean is the root word pruned. You're already pruned because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I am him, he bears much fruit. And for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you may ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. It's interesting that grapevines, they, they are a very unique plant. I, my, my uncle had a vineyard. It was not a large vineyard, but it was a, uh, maybe a couple hundred acres. And when I was a young man, I used to go work on his vineyard a couple of three or four times, actually. And I would trim the vines. Now, let me just be clear. I was 15. I didn't actually know what I was doing. My uncle would say, just cut here, and I would cut there. And and uh, I, I had no idea what the significance of trimming the vine was all about. <clears throat> but years later, someone sent me an article on vines, on, on vineyards. And I connected to that, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. I used to do that. And they told this story about how vines, this unique plant, grows. And they said, a vine, you'll look at a, a branch of a vine, and you'll see like, like, like fruit, grapes, and and leaves, and then maybe let's say five feet, uh, five feet more, you'll see just leaves, and then you'll see a stick. And I very much remember this. And you see a stick, and that stick may grow. It could grow, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 feet. It'll just keep growing. And this, this article was talking about how grapevines grow, and that grapevines will actually spend all their energy, all their nourishment, extending their, their vine until literally they have no fruit on the branch. <laughs> and Jesus is telling the story, of course, in the agricultural age where everyone would have understood this, especially when they grow grapes and drink wine in those days. 
And he talked about the fact there was two things, there was two conditions. You either get pruned back to your fruitfulness or you get cut off to the branch. And what they did, what you, what you would do when you're, when you're trimming a vine is you would cut, the, you, would, you would trim back the vine, the actual branch, back to where the fruit stopped and then the vine would begin to use its energy to produce fruit instead of produce basically a stick. Or if that branch had no fruit at all, you would trim it back to, right back to the vine and it would grow an, uh, another branch. And I was thinking about how Jesus said, we, either way, like if you're in Christ, you're either gonna be trimmed back or cut off. Those are, the two, those are your two options. And he said, and now you are clean, same word prune, because of the word I spoke to you. This is such a great illustration of what happens when we don't take a place, when we don't take our place in humility, and we just begin to grow, we begin to be in this rat waste where we can see how long of a branch we can grow, and we end up overextended with no fruit. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said, you are already clean. Listen, disciples, you're clean because of the word I spoke to you. James says, receive the word in humility that's been planted in you, that's able to save your soul. And what I'm getting at is that this is a season where the Lord is allowing us to be in this place where he is, if you will, the vine dresser is dressing the vine. He's cutting us back to our fruitfulness and he's taking away that spirit of competition, that spirit of jealousy, all those things that happen in our life when we begin to see who can grow the longest branch, who has the biggest Facebook page, who has the biggest social networking, who, who, who draws the biggest crowds, who has the, the nicest house and the most stuff. And the Lord goes, let me just cut this back to where there's real fruitfulness. And I want to encourage you that in the midst of this virus, God's doing another thing with his people. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal, hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Well, the world is trying to find a cure for the natural cause of the virus. And again, I want to say, I believe God's in the midst of that. The Lord's also working on our hearts. He's also, he's also trimming back the things in our life. He has us, if you will, on a global timeout. <laughs> Some of us, it's like he sent us to our room to think about our attitudes, to think about our pursuits. It's, it's interesting. We can't, we can't even do the things we're good at. And, and the Lord's like, okay, let's just, you and I have a conversation. It's like, do you want to go here? Do you want to go there? The Lord's like, no, you're in a timeout. <laughs> And the Lord's using what the enemy means for evil. The Lord's using for good in our lives. There's four things that we need to understand about humility. Number one, humility towards God must be demonstrated in relationship with people. <laughs> it's like, I'm humble. It's funny, no one else has experienced that around you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Peter writes... You younger men likewise be in subjection to your elders. We don't like that word. And all of you, everybody, clothe yourself in humility 
towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. This is a beautiful passage, but it expresses this, this truth that humility must be expressed with other people. I can't just say, well, I just, you know, God is my, God's my savior, God is my, my you know, I, I'm submitted to God. It's like, I, I, I'm humble with reference to God. God goes, no, no, no. You, your humility with God needs to be expressed in your relationship with people. And he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It's like, I'm humble under the mighty hand of God. It's like, yes, but the people around you need to experience your humility, my humility. They need to experience our humility. And I, I, I love this. God is opposed to the proud. Isn't it interesting that even a new covenant God says, I'm opposed to you when you're proud. Sometimes we are running against the wind because we have this, this selfish ambition and we're like, it's, it's all about us. We're the hero in the movie. And God says, no, I don't want you to be the hero in the movie. I'm the hero in the movie and you're the servant. Number two, number two, four things you must understand about humility. Great grace is only reserved for the humble. James writes this. James chapter four, verse six. For he gives great grace. For he gives, speaking of God, great grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives great grace to the humble. What does grace mean? Well, obviously it means undeserved favor. But it is also the operational power of God. It is what gives us the ability, in this case, to go through trials. You're like, I'm going through a really hard time. I feel, I feel broken. I feel weak. Well, listen, when you're weak, he's strong, and he gives you grace. He gives you the ability to do what you couldn't do one second before you received it. He gives you grace when we get low. When we get low, how many of you know, we are working our way all the way down to the top. When we get low, the Lord is, remember, he's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace is the way forward. Humility is the way forward. God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Number three, not only is God opposed to the proud, but pride is self-defeating. Not only is God opposed to the proud, but pride is self-defeating. It's like rust that slowly rots the container that it's, that it's held in. Proverbs 29, 23, Solomon wrote this, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Listen to this, a man's pride. Listen, God's opposed to the proud, but your own pride, my own pride will bring me low. Pride itself defeats me. Pride itself defeats me. Number four, God wants to exalt us. God's ultimate goal isn't to like, let me just squish you. God's ultimate goal is to exalt you, to exalt me. We are children of God. He, when we humble ourselves, he exalts us. That's right. Contrary to popular opinion, God's ultimate goal for us is that each of us would become great, be amazing and glorious. His reward for humility is promotion. Jesus put it like this. Luke chapter 1 Verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has exalted those who are humble. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. 
but he has exalted those who are humble. Humility plus nothing equals promotion. Uh, Let me say that again. Humility plus nothing equals promotion. It's great to be gifted and talented and educated and experienced, etc. But a person who lacks all these advantages, yet embraces humility, will still be promoted. Let me say this. It's great to be educated. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm actually pro-education. We have a Bethel School of Technology. We have a, we have a conservatory art school. We have a school of ministry. And we're, we're just growing in this, in this university. We want to have a Bethel University, Bethel education. It, it's, it's awesome to be educated. And of course, it's great to be experienced. It's great to build your skill. It's, it's great to even be intelligent and to, for God to have the mind of Christ and to have the mind of God. Those things are all important in our life. And I, I, I'm not putting those down, but I'm saying you could have none of those advantages, but if you humble yourself, you'll still be exalted. Humility plus nothing equals promotion. Adversity may be the mother of invention, but humility is the father of promotion. I want to talk about strategic humility. Out of John chapter 13, if you'll turn there with me, John chapter 13, we'll read from verse 1. I'm reading out the New American Standard Bible. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon, to betray him, and Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments. Taking a towel, he girded himself. Verse 5, when he poured, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, so he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do to you, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. This is a powerful part of the verse, powerful part of the passage. What I do to you now, you do not realize, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said, never shall you wash my feet. I, I don't know why, but I just relate to Peter like, no, you can't wash my feet. And then Jesus said, if I can't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Peter's like, okay, my whole body. And Jesus, is, and Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. I, I love Peter. Peter is like, I feel like I so relate to his personality. I feel like I'm a Peter. I'm like, I'm all in or not. And Jesus said, you are clean, but not all of you. And he goes on, for he knew who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And we had washed their feet and taken his garment. And he took his garment, reclined at the table again and said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I am the Lord and the teacher and I wash your feet, so you ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you this example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I, I, I thought this was so profound. The, John sets up this scene where 
Jesus knows his hour is coming. The devil has just entered Judas. He knows he's going to the cross. There's all this stuff against Jesus. He understands there's this, there's this, he sets up the scene in which the enemy is gaining, if you will, strength. His, the rulers have decided to kill Jesus, to crucify him. Judas has been now, he's completely demonized. And Jesus realizes what's happening. And so he immediately grabs a towel and grabs a basin and he goes to his disciples. He kneels down and he begins to wash their feet. Come over here, Philip. Let me wash your feet. And while he's washing their feet, remember, this is a, this is a custom that, this is, a, this is a, a standard custom in Jewish culture to wash the, uh, uh, the uh, feet of, of someone. And he's washing their feet and he says to them, you don't actually know what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I, I, we know what you're doing. You're washing our feet. No, no, you don't actually know what I'm doing right now. And he begins to wash their feet. And I, I want to point out that in the midst of the enemy making a strategic uh, plan to take down Jesus, Jesus makes this amazing strategic move of humility in which he humbles himself. The enemy goes, I'm going to take him out. And Jesus said, watch this. You can't get lower than this. And Philippians says, have this attitude that was in Christ, have this attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. And that although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality of God with God a thing to be grasped. But instead he humbled himself, even to the death on the cross. And what happened? Then God highly exalted him. And gave him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to Jesus is Lord. What happened? The devil came in with arrogance and pride and he said, I'll take you out. And Jesus said, no, I'll get lower. And when Jesus got lower, he strategically humbled himself and God strategically exalted him. I want us to talk about not just... I don't want us to just humble ourselves. I want us to strategically place ourselves in a position... Where the, Lord, where, the, where the Lord begins to say, see that guy right there? See, see, see Mary? Did you see what happened to her? And he begins to exalt us. I remember uh, many years ago, I had a business and um, I had a, a partner in business many years ago and I found out later that my partner had actually um, decided to open a shop but right next door to me, take all of our customers and uh, not have a conversation with me that he was even doing it until the owner of the building next door to me came over and said, hey, I'd like you to, to give a reference to this particular person. And I'm like, okay. And I, for what reason? He says, oh, well, he's opening a shop here. I'm like, oh, he works for me. And come to find out he'd already sent out a letter to all my customers and I was very upset of course, and went home and said, man, Lord, what can I, what should I do? And I'll tell you, for a week, I was just pacing in, around in my floor, in, in, my, in my house, thinking about, like, all the things I've done for him, and how could he do this to me? And finally, the Lord said, are you going to listen to me? Like, all right, I guess so. And the Lord said, what would I do? I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to think about that. I don't <laughs> 
<laughs> what would Jesus do? Something crazy and radical. And I found myself on the floor praying for my friend. And the Lord said, why don't you, I had uh, four shops at the time. The Lord said, why don't you close that shop that he works at and why don't you give him all the equipment? I'm like, oh, that sounds like a terrible plan. And finally, I decided, I went and told Kathy and she's like, oh. I said, well, let's pray together. And finally, she's like, I, I think that's the right, that's probably the right move. And so we loaded up all this equipment. We went and got a U-Haul truck and we loaded up all this equipment, just filled the truck with equipment, backed it up to that guy's shop and he, on, on opening day. And he sees me and I, I think he thinks, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And, and uh, I said, hey, his name's not John. I said, hey, John, come out here. And he's like, I'm sorry, though. I meant to tell you. I'm like, I, I just want to give you a gift. And we opened the truck and we said, you, you'll need equipment. Why don't we give you equipment? And we'll, why don't you just take the equipment from the shop you were managing and let's just help you get started. The Lord honored that all the days of my life. I, I still get gifts that the Lord said, I'm tying this gift to what you did for John. <laughs> I received a very large gift a few years ago, and the Lord said to me, remember when you gave all that equipment to John? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I wanna tell you that there is something about strategic humility. Sometimes when someone's against us, I know it's, our natural, it's in our natural man. We just wanna fight back. But I want to say that Jesus humbled himself and God goes, I can promote that. You know, we live in a culture, if you're watching the news at all, there's a political battle every day. Who gets credit? Whose fault is this? It's your fault. It's, the, it's their fault. It's that country's fault. It's, that, it's, that, it's the president's fault. It's the Congress' fault. It's the governor didn't do it right. And, Everybody should be prophets and predicted all that's coming in. And we just want to blame somebody else. And I've, I hear the Lord saying, humility, humility is the way forward. That attitude of blaming the opposite party, that opposite political party, or blaming that country, that's not helping at all. But humility is the way forward. Humility is the way forward. It's interesting. One of the most wicked kings in the Bible was a king named Ahab. And he uh, was married to Jezebel. So Jezebel and Ahab were probably together the most wicked couple, the most famously wicked couple in the entire Bible. And God sends a word to Elisha. You got to remember, this is the Old Testament when God judged people. Thank God for the cross. But he sent Elijah and he says, go tell Ahab, I'm going to do all this bad stuff to him. <laughs> He's wicked, and I'm going to destroy his people. I'm going to destroy his country. And you can read it in 1 Kings chapter 21. And he brings this terrible word about his wife, about Jezebel, what's going to happen to her. And he goes on like, like that. And then something crazy happens. And it came about when Ahab heard the words that from, from Elijah, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted, and laid in sackcloth, and went about despondently. Verse 28, then the Lord of the Lord came to Elijah and said, do you see how Ahab has humbled himself? 
Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring about evil on his day. This is one of the most wicked kings in the entire Bible. He famous, him and his wife are the famous couple of wickedness, still being referred to in the New Testament. Jezebel, his wife, still being referred to as the pinnacle of immorality. And God says, I'm going to do all this bad stuff to you, Old Testament. And Ahab humbles himself, and God says to Elijah, did you see what he just did? He just humbled himself. In the Old Covenant, this wicked guy humbled himself. And God goes, I go back and tell him it's not going to happen. There is something about humility that we need to learn in this season. We have a virus. We're like, we can fix this. We can cure this. We can do this. It's like, God, help us to find a cure. God, we can't do this without you. God, our cities are in trouble. God, my house is in trouble. Maybe, maybe you're sick. Maybe a family member is sick. It's good to have confidence, but our confidence needs to be rooted in God, not in our own arrogance, not even in humanity. It's good to find a place of humility. I want to share quickly some attributes of humility, 15 attributes of humility. Number one, you actually do pray. <laughs> it's funny, you know, people will fight to have prayer in school, but then once they get it, they don't pray. Sometimes we fight for prayer in school and don't even pray at home. The ultimate, ultimate arrogance, prayerlessness is the ultimate arrogance. Number two, you are influenceable. Like, how do you know if you're humble? People can actually influence you. You, you actually, other people's opinion actually matters to you. Not in a fear of man way, but you're, you don't think, well, if it hasn't happened to me, if I don't know it, then it can't be true. You actually are influenceable. Number three, you can be corrected without defending yourself. You can be corrected without defending yourself. I don't know about you, but I don't like being wrong. I don't think anyone likes being wrong. But God has put people in our lives that can see our blind spots. And they are gifts from God. We are gifts from God to one another. And when someone comes into our life and sees something in our life that doesn't feel healthy, it's a gift that they have the courage and that you have given them a place to actually speak into your life. And to defend yourself without a heart that listens, that humbles itself and says, is it possible they could be right? I can be corrected without defending myself. Number four, you rejoice when others are celebrated. You rejoice when others are celebrated. I don't know about you, but I can rejoice easily when someone's celebrated for something I don't really care about. Like baseball, I don't really like baseball. It's like, hey, he became a famous baseball player. We're like, yay, I don't play baseball. I don't even know who the famous players are. It's easy to celebrate someone in something that you don't want. But how about celebrating people who get what you want? How hard is it to celebrate people who get what you'd like to have? Humility celebrates people and realizes that their opportunity doesn't take away from my opportunity. Just because you became 
it may be my world, you became a, a, a New York best-selling author, doesn't mean I can't become one. Your God promoting you doesn't mean that he took it from me. There's something about humility that understands that we can celebrate others' victories. Number five, there's no job too small for you. <laughs> this is, I learned this one really good. There's no job too small for you. I, you know, we travel the world. We, we aren't traveling right now. <laughs> Very much. It's just a change. You know, yesterday I was chained in my wood shop, which was actually pretty good. Like, send me to my room and I will make something. <laughs> but sometimes we come home, you know, we fly to Russia, South Africa. By the way, I miss the Russians this year. I'm supposed to be in Russia right now. God bless you, Russians. South Africa, Lafayette, Asia, Europe, all these countries, and we come home, and, and, and when we're on the road, we're like, we're like the heroes. We're like, oh, we love your word. Oh, that you prayed for me, and I got healed. Oh, and then we come home, and we get it, and we come home from a long trip, and we walk in the house, and, 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 and my wife's like, Kathy's like, can you take out the garbage? Like, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> do you know who you're talking to? I'm healing the sick. I'm prophesying to nations. Kings are coming to me. She's like, that's all good. Take out the garbage. How many of you know humility means there's no job too small for you? Humility means there's no job too small for you. Number six, you don't always have to be right. You don't always have to be right. Humility means you don't always have to be right. Number seven, you naturally seek advice from other people. I think that's self-explanatory, but when you're humble, you know what pride does? Pride sometimes doesn't seek advice because pride says, well, I'm as smart as anyone in the room. Certainly if there was an answer, I would have it. And pride says, I'm not gonna go seek a counselor. I'm not gonna go get, I'm not gonna go ask somebody else what I should do because I'm the smartest person in the room. But humility goes, God gives wisdom to other people and in abundance of counselors, there's victory. Number seven, no, number eight, you are teachable. I think we talked about this in, in, the, in the influence way, but you are teachable. You know, once we stop learning, we start dying. Once we stop learning, we start dying. Number nine, we freely admit our flaws, our mistakes, and our failures. We freely admit our flaws, mistakes, and failures. You know, uh, we've been in a season where I think authenticity has been so important. People are tired of a Photoshop life. Their reality shows, I think, are some of the top shows on TV. It's funny because they're reality shows that aren't real. I, I don't know how you do that. I, I, I'm not into reality shows. I watched one, this probably a few months ago, and I'm like, that's not a reality show. Like, that's not how real life happens. <laughs> As a matter of fact, thankfully, real life isn't that exciting. <laughs> but reality, authenticity is such a high value right now. People being real. People actually, you know, not, not uh, even on social media, like, there, what's that hashtag? I think it's like something like no Photoshop or something. Uh, people want real. You, are, you're, you freely admit your flaws and mistakes. Number 10, you live to help others succeed. 
Now, we have students all the time, they ask like, how do, I, how do I succeed in ministry? Find someone else to serve and make them, make them great. Like lend your strength to other people. As a matter of fact, I, I propose that actual success in life, in, no matter what you do, is finding somebody else, finding someone else that you can actually help succeed. Uh, a, a business. If you're, I was in the auto parts business. It's a pretty boring business. But our job is to help other people succeed. Our job is to help the repair shop succeed. Our job is to help the walk-in customers succeed. Like, if you find a place of humility where you think of your life as the measurement of your success is in how many other people succeed because you're alive, how many know that's a real ministry? That's a real business. Where you spend your life helping other people succeed, that is what life is about. That I lay down my life for other people, it is the, it is the ultimate act of humility, the ultimate description of humility, and it is the way forward. Uh, just a few more. You're not easily offended. Gosh, I could spend the whole message on this. I, I don't know what it is about social media. I don't know if it creates people's attitude or just reveals it, probably reveals it. But you can say anything on social media and somebody will be offended. You say God is good and they'll be like, not all the time, let me tell you about my, and I'm like, people just live offended. Sometimes, have you ever had anyone tell you a story about their hurt or their pain and it's 20 years ago and they're telling it as if it happened last week. I'm like, listen, carrying offense is a bummer. And you may think you're hurting the person that you carry unforgiveness towards, but you're actually killing yourself. And not only that, but you're living in arrogance when you can't let somebody go. How many understand that Jesus forgave you? And that means that he gave you the position, the right, and the authority to forgive other people. I love Joyce Myers, and I love what she said. She said, unforgiveness is like drinking deadly poison and think the other person's going to die. Forgiveness. Number 12, you're thankful. You have a thankful attitude. And thankfulness will inoculate you from arrogance. There's just no way to be thankful and arrogant at the same time. Because thankfulness says, I owe gratitude for something I wasn't able to do or something that someone did for me. Number 13, you don't live with a sense of entitlement. You don't feel like anyone owes you a living. This is pretty big for us right now. Sometimes we're, we spend our lives blaming people and feeling like, well, the government should take care of me. Well, my parents should take care of me. Well, the, you know, some, there's always someone else. Like, I'm a victim and someone should take care of me. Listen, humility realizes, oh, no, nobody owes me anything, including God. Number, 13, number 14, you're quick to forgive and you don't hold grudges. I think we already covered that another way. And number 15, you're confident in who you are and content in who you're not. I, I want to just finish this today by saying there's no way you won't succeed if you find humility. Humility is the way forward. I've been praying for our, our, our governors, our mayors, our city officials, our president, our world leaders to find this place of humility. And I believe it's in humility that revelation is going to come. Revelation for 
the restoration of bodies, revelation for the cure for the virus. I just feel so, I'm so convinced that God's, we are in this, uh, in this moment of divine providence when the Lord is helping us through, if you will, this treacherous season. He's guiding us. He's like, just follow. Lord, I don't know what to do. Just follow. Listen, Lord, I, I don't know if that's the right way. It's the right way if you see me in front of you. Our options have been limited. The Lord has us on a timeout. We are allowing the Holy Spirit to search our own hearts. We're saying, Lord, is there anyone else that I can promote? Is there someone else I can help succeed? Is there, is there anything in me? Is there unforgiveness? Is there anything in me that needs to be fixed? Listen, I want to say again, if you spend a lot of time listening to news and media, you're going you're gonna to be... It's, you, you risk being frog-boiled in the blame and shame game of the political spirit or the religious spirit. And I want to say, that's not the way forward. The way forward is to find this place where we say, God, you're in charge of our life. I totally trust you. I want to say right now, I feel so strongly that the Lord's actually, he's calling some people back to him. I feel right now that there's a strong sense that the Lord is drawing some of you back. And some of you, you've wandered so far away, you're like, the Lord could never take me back. And I'm reminded of the prodigal son. I'm reminded of the prodigal son story when he leaves his father's house and he just does everything wrong. And yet the father is in, he is in, Faithful expectation, watching and waiting for his son to return. And he is, if you will, he is preparing for the re-entry of his son long before his son turns around. And I want to say the father, the heavenly father is waiting for you to return. He's waiting for you to humble yourself and say, like the powerful son story, I messed, I messed it up. I got it wrong. I was wrong. And you know what? The Lord's not trying to, he's not trying to rub it in your face. But confession, 1 John, John, 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins. And then he cleanses from all unrighteousness. And I want to tell you, if you're watching this right now, and you've walked away from the Lord, and I just feel like there's just thousands of people that will watch this over the next two months, that this, just this part of the message, you're like, that's me. I, I've wandered away. I want to tell you, some of you have wandered into immorality. You've, you've, wandered, you've wandered into selfish ambition. You've built your own castle. And the Lord's like, listen, I want to bless you. I want to be the one who blesses you. But I don't want the gold, metaphorically, that I give you to be turned into a golden calf that you serve. I don't want my blessing to become your God. Lord, I just pray right now for so many people. And you know what? Several of you have said to God, if you get me out of this circumstance, I'll serve you. And I see there's a, there's a man, uh, there's, a, there's a man, you've told the Lord five different times. You've had two drug overdoses. And you've told the Lord five different times, if you save me out of this, I will follow you. But you haven't followed him. And the Lord's saying to you right now, he forgives you. He's graciously been waiting for you. And I want to tell you that the Lord is healing so many bodies. And some of you are sick 
and you're like, I don't deserve to be healed. I've done this and this. And God says, no, no, I, I died for, to forgive sin, not to forgive mistakes. And God wants you to know that none of us deserve to be healed. But right now, the Lord is healing you. And by the way, if you stay sick when God is trying to heal you, you're saying to Jesus, what you did on the cross isn't good enough for me. And God's healing people from pancreatic, pancreatic cancer. He's healing someone from, brain, from a brain tumor. It's something in your right eye. Something, something's happening with people with a, a back problem. There's venereal diseases. God's healing several people with venereal disease. And right now, I just want to finish this, this broadcast by saying right now, I release healing and salvation over you in Jesus' name. Listen, if you want to follow Christ or if you need healing, just get on the chat box and just type in what, what you need and someone will connect with you today and they will pray with you and God's going to heal you and God's going to save you and God's going to deliver you and God's going to restore your family. I bless you right now in Jesus' name and may all the power and love and blessings of God himself be on you, be on your household and on everything that concerns you. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.